And so the book of Luke and the book of Acts, they kind of go together, same offer uh, in two parts. And really what they do as a narrative is they show exactly what Jesus did and they call us to live a radically different kind of life. And so we're in the middle of a long block of teaching, uh, a long block of sayings of Jesus as he journeys closer and closer to Jerusalem where ultimately he will be condemned and die on the cross for our sins. So last week Nigel looked at Luke 16 and how we were made to be God's stewards on earth. In other words, everything that we have, it's not our own, but God has entrusted it to us, be that our physical wealth, our jobs, our family, our significant friendships. And if we look after really well what God has entrusted to us, he will entrust us with so much more, more opportunities to serve him faithfully, and more responsibility to serve him lovingly. So there was a famous story about a humble man. He was modest, he was a good listener. He wouldn't boast. He served people really well, and he would serve people without making them feel like they were in his debt. And this began to be noticed by his his family, his friends, and his colleagues. And so one day, one of his friends said to him, you know, you're, re- you're really humble, you're really, you're really modest. And the friend replied, I know, I really do try. Uh, and people ought to appreciate that I'm humble. So his friend was a little taken aback by this. Uh, and he said, right, well, I was going to say, um, you know those self-help books that are out there? You could make a stack of cash if you wrote a book about humility. Um, so, for example, uh, we have on the markets, uh, anyone can be cool, but awesome takes practice. That's selling well. Um, as well, we have shut up, stop whining, and get a life. Uh, and a personal favorite of mine, how to make money in your spare time. So his friend said, you could, you could write a book on humility. So uh, the humble or supposedly humble man, uh, he went away, um, how do we think? about what what to call his book, Uh, and he went into the publishers and said, right, well, I've got the title, uh, Humility and How I Achieved It. Needless to say, the book didn't get published, uh, and his friends no longer believed that he he was humble. I think it's really interesting that people who possess humility are often quite unaware that they have it. Um, so in many ways, the previous chapter that, that Nigel had us looking at last week, it was directed at the Pharisees who, among other things, loved money and loved their reputation and loved their high standing in society. And so these verses in chapter 17, they're actually addressed to Jesus' disciples, Basically what he's saying is, in chapter 16, you see how the Pharisees live their lives. Here is how you are to live yours. The kind of kingdom of God-centered life that you're to have. And by extension, you guys and me. 
And so in the passage, there are four distinct qualities that disciples are to have. But they're not just a random assortment of qualities. They all flow from the same place. They flow from humility and being humble servants of God, being obedient to him. So the first one we've got to guard against is false teaching. And the first thing that we've got to keep in mind is that this is an inevitability. In fact, it's impossible to avoid. We all at some point as friends and followers of Jesus will encounter people with unhealthy patterns of living, thinking, and doing. And they will seek to lead God's people away from his life-giving streams and into unhealthy ways of living, uh, acting, being, believing. In fact, the term used in the original Greek is scandalon, from which we get the word scandal. So quite simply, these people want to scandalize the people of God. They want to lead people away from him, lead people away from life in him and into serious sin. And the temptation to do this is serious. And Jesus actually reminds us later in verse 23 that many would claim to be who he was, a Messiah, or they would claim that someone else was a Messiah. Even those closest to Jesus defected. Look at Judas. And Paul, as he leaves the Ephesians, reminds them that many savage wolves would come among the church and distort the wonderful truths that he'd left them. So why does this matter? Surely in a society where truth is relative, where people can weigh in with their own thoughts and feelings about who God is, how to live your life. The postmodern generation that hears with its eyes, thinks with its feelings where people's own views are viewed as, le- as legitimate as scripture. Surely, is this not a little intolerant? Well, I think it matters because we as Christians believe that we are his little ones. We're God's little ones. And it's he alone who has rescued us, who has saved us from our sin, our guilt, and our shame and its consequences. And we want to say no one else can. And we as Christians, we also want to say that God's vision for human flourishing is the only and best one for our lives, not our flawed and often sinful logic. It's because we're loved. And so we've got to, on our journey with Jesus, constantly to be watching for those things that aren't of him and his word, that aren't bringing life, preacher especially. Um, Hence why it's better for a heavy grinding stone from a mill to be tied round a person that is leading people astray and away from God. Second thing I want to look at this morning is forgiveness. So in verse three, we read um, from Jesus that if your brother or your sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. So we, as disciples of Jesus Christ, we when people do things against us, we have certain responsibilities in how we react to those things and really it's all because we share in each other's commitment to pursue the kind of life that Jesus has for us 
a life to the full, a holy life to pursue him in relationship, to pursue his righteousness. And in our culture, we tend to appreciate our lives as individuals rather than being part of a community. But the scriptures want to say that yes, yes, we're both individuals, but we are also made for community. Becoming more like Jesus, our spiritual formation as it's often called, is something that we do together as family. Daryl Bach comments, for Jesus, faith is not merely a private affair, but something that the community pursues together. The community of believers is a family in the sense that the best interests of each member is a concern of each other member. We just get that up on the screen. This is why here at Bangor Parish Church, we want to encourage everyone to get involved in a life group and get serious in their commitment about attending here on a Sunday. We can often grimace at terms like rebuke, and I think it's important to remember that this is not about meddling in other people's business. It's about accountability and holiness. Nor is it about legalism and being that starched, stiff-necked, lifeless crowd of religious Pharisees. It's not about that. But yes, it's about being committed to righteousness. Yes, it's about restored and right relationships. All the things that Jesus taught about, modeled perfectly, and wants to see produced in pretty ordinary and flawed people like you and me. And so I'd encourage you today to get serious about community, to join a life group, because it's here you'll have the kind of meaningful relationships that will allow you to get real about your sin, real about your struggles, and start growing in your relationship with God and with others. And so lovingly rebuking a brother or sister, it's actually part of what it means to be family. And it's a positive step. Um, for many, there's a personal preference. I know my preference is to shy away like a hedgehog curling into a ball whenever there's conflict. So if someone does something wrong to me, my tendency is to curl up into a ball, say nothing. Whereas for some of us, we might have that tendency to be a rhino and charge at people as soon as we're wronged. Um, and I think I think there's a healthy medium in love that we're to go for. Because as brothers and sisters, if we shy away from being really honest with each other, really authentic, when people wrong us, we're actually allowing each other to live lives of less. So if we see sin in the lives of a brother or sister here or someone wrongs us, it's important to be accountable. It's important to have a conversation. And of course, there's the other side to this, which is forgiveness. So even if your brother or sister sins against you, wrongs you, hurts you again and again and again, and they keep coming back with their sorry, we're told that we must forgive them. And that's a command. Right relationships are so important. The fact that Jesus tells us to leave our gift at the altar and go and be reconciled shows how important it is. 
In other words, leaving worship and choosing to go and be reconciled shows how important it is to him. We're told that we must forgive in the same way that we've been forgiven by God. And the reason that forgiveness is part of this equation almost of accountability is so, so important is that it's utterly liberating. Forgiveness allows people to move past their faults and their feelings, to feel free, to feel light, and to feel able to move on from the wrong that they've done. And notice how one without the other simply doesn't work. If we rebuke or correct in an utterly loveless way without forgiveness, people are left in a place of guilt and shame. But if we forgive without actually telling the area that they may need to grow in, we're not actually helping to point them towards Jesus and how they can grow. Next point is exercising a little faith. So this seems pretty hard. And the disciples are thinking that too. I think it was C.S. Lewis who commented, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until he has something to forgive. And so the disciples are hearing this teaching of Jesus about forgiving again and again and again. And they're thinking, we can't do this. Lord, increase our faith. It's going to take some faith to be able to do this. It's almost as if we need to join the faith gym and attend three days a week and and start pumping some faith um, in order to get there. And I think what Jesus wants to say is this life of, of radical accountability and forgiveness of others, it doesn't require great faith, but what it does require is faith in a great God. For Jesus, having faith is enough, not possessing bucket loads of it. And that's an incredible relief to ordinary people like you and like me with our tiny mustard seed. We can live an extraordinary life. Because faith, it's not so much as a possession, it's more of a disposition. Because where there's a little faith, faithful behavior will result. And where there's no faith, there'll be a lack of faithful behavior. I mean, we all know how hard it is to lovingly confront people and to be honest with them. And we all know especially how hard it is to forgive others, especially when the wounds go deep. Where people through word or deed or neglect or things done or undone happen to us. And in case you haven't realized, being around people, it's really, really good. But sometimes it isn't easy. People can hurt us deeply. I don't know about you. It could be in your family situation. It could be a son or a daughter or a mum or a dad. It could be the extended family. It could be significant friendships. It could be work. It could be people in churches. It could be people in this church. And what Jesus wants to underline is that connection with him is what makes this kind of life possible. Take, for example, the mulberry tree that Jesus describes. So the black mulberry tree, we've got a picture there on the screen. It was a tree, um, they had a lot of them in the Middle East, with a vast root system. So they would go really deep down into the ground, and they could live 600 years. So they weren't like daisies. They were there to stay once they were there. 
Um, and moving this kind of tree is going to be hard. And for many of us, things like forgiveness is hard. So often bitter roots can form in our hearts because of what people have done to us. And quite often we have a genuine reason to feel grieved or to feel hurt. Sometimes it feels like these roots have been there for years and years and years. And perhaps they have and they haven't been dealt with. And it's eating at you. It's affecting how you relate to other people. What Jesus wants to say is a little faith in him is all it takes to make this forgiveness possible. Not merely trying harder. So just simply giving your yes to him. And for many of us, that forgiveness in faith comes like that. And for some of us, it's a journey. It's simply choosing to forgive. Finally, from the passage we learn about having a servant heart. So Jesus ends the section talking about humility. And he does this really intentionally because it's from a posture of humility that these behaviors or qualities flow. I think it was in the early church that Augustine of Hippo said, for those who would learn God's ways, humility is the first thing. Humility is the second, and humility is the third. See, it takes real humility to teach what the scriptures are saying rather than their own thoughts to lead people astray. It takes real humility to correct people in a way that is neither arrogant, religious, or condemning, but is life-giving, honest, and pointing people towards Jesus. It takes real humility to forgive others. And sometimes it takes humble obedience to forgive others. It takes a choice to obey God and forgive people. Because our natural inclination so often can be, I don't want to forgive this person. I want to remain feeling bitter towards this person. And it goes by saying in other areas of our lives, we can often go to God, I've forgiven this person, look at me. Or I've worshipped in this way, or I've given this amount of time, or money, or energies, or I've done this good thing for you. And we're almost speaking to God in a way in which we're saying, I'm owed something. And Jesus wants to say, no, it doesn't work like that. There's absolutely no way that we can put God in our debt. And in fact, take a thing like forgiveness when we've truly forgiven someone who's wronged us, we're making ourselves a servant of the guilty party. We're not trying to make the guilty person who's wronged us our servant. We're not trying to put them in our debt. We're simply choosing in humility to be obedient to him. And it's the least that we can do for him because he's done everything for us. And Jesus, when he's speaking about servants, he uses the term doulos, which in the Greek could also be translated as slaves. So when we forgive or live out these qualities, we're actually discharging our basic duties to God. We're actually doing what's required of us. And so as we come in for a landing, it's from a place of humility and being God's humble servants that these qualities flow.
We're told to guard against false teaching. We're told to confront lovingly and forgive completely. And we're told that to live this kind of life, all it takes is a little faith in him. And so today, there may be a number of responses that you want to um, make. Um, And the first one may be to ask the Holy Spirit to produce in your heart humility, to choose to be humbly obedient to him. Another response may be to repent and ask God for forgiveness. But I think one of the main things that, that the Holy Spirit may want to do today is actually there may be some of you here today who you've been carrying uh, unforgiveness for years and years and years and you feel like there's bitter roots in your heart and you just haven't been able to maybe acknowledge that pain that you've been through. Actually acknowledge to God, I've been hurt. And actually... Um, I think what the the Lord may want to do today, um, maybe to break that unforgiveness in you, so to acknowledge the pain you feel to him, and also to choose today to forgive that person or persons who have hurt you. So we're going to have a prayer ministry team at the sides here today who are just simply there to pray with and for you. Uh, And they will be stationed at the side today. And, And really that could be an opportunity for you today to come forward for prayer, to um, bring your pain and your struggle and your hurt to God and also to release that person who's hurt you, to choose to forgive them.